how many of you guys, let me, let me say, say it this way. Would you classify yourself as the kind of person who, irregardless of what you're eating, you instinctively grab the salt shaker and you salt whatever you're eating? Who, who's that kind of person? Any of you? There you go. I, yeah, I see some of you going like this because you don't want to offend the person sitting down the row from you. No matter what it is, you grab that salt shaker and you dump the salt. You, you want a little salty, and, it, and it's almost become like you're craving now with your tongue the salt more than the actual food that's underneath the salt. You like that flavor. Maybe, it's, it's, maybe salt's not your thing. Maybe you're all about the ketchup, right? You put the ketchup. I, some of you are going like this. Yeah, you, you put the ketchup there. You, you know, you go to a restaurant and uh, you wait till your food comes and then you ask for the ketchup because you don't want to insult somebody back in the kitchen and they do something to your food. I want ketchup with, you know, my burger. I want ketchup with my steak. I want ketchup with my uh, enchiladas. I want ketchup with my whatever it may be that doesn't need ketchup. But, and I'm speaking from one who grew up having ketchup with everything. That was me. Uh, until uh, my, my granddad had heart problems and he started having to get this ketchup I can't remember, it was ketchup with no salt added, and it was like, you know, it was a, um, uh, a, a curse on humanity, uh, and, I, and I stopped eating ketchup with so many things and went to Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce, but anyway, uh, there are those of us, though, who do salt all kinds of things, and the doctor may say, you don't need to put so much salt in there, but we still do, just because it's habit, and we salt it. But I don't know if you know this, but not all salt is created equal. It's not. And I, I didn't know this, you know, for the longest time uh, until I could, it was one day, you know, in our house, I typically make breakfast. Um, and uh, so I was making, uh, I can't remember, it was probably, I think it was, I, get, I talked about biscuits last month, making biscuits when there was a problem with one of the ingredients. I think it was biscuits again. And I went up to the cabinet to get the salt to put in them, and uh, we were out. The, the, you know, the little container, it was out. But I noticed, though, behind another ingredient that was there, another thing that was in the cabinet, uh, there was another kind of salt. And I just read on the label, salt. And I was like, oh, all right, perfect. It's just different package, no big deal. And so I grabbed that and put it in the little measuring uh, spoon thing and dump it in, and then uh, serve it up and, uh, you know, as you know, I'm pulling off pieces for the baby, uh, I, I take a bite and realize, wait a minute, that is really salty. And I, I went over and checked the little measuring spoon, make sure I had it right. Yeah, it's right. One little teaspoon, no big deal. Um, uh, and uh, no, it wasn't a teaspoon. <laughs> it was a half a teaspoon. As, and and I, said, no, I got it right, but why is it so salty? And then I went back and examined the label, and it was this fancy kind of like sea salt. And it was way saltier than regular salt. Like, I mean, if you ever get the tall, skinny bottle of sea salt, I can't remember the name brand, whatever it is, but it is way saltier than regular salt. It will, like, incredibly salt your, whatever you're making, your biscuits or you pour it on stuff. Uh, and uh, at that point, I had the realization, some salt is different than others. But you don't know that until you experience it. I could have both those containers, and this morning, making, we made waffles in our house. Both containers of salt were still in the cabin. I saw them, the regular one and the sea salt one. Uh, and they both say salt on them, but you can't know they're different until you taste them. 
You can't know the different until you experience it for yourself. It is the experience that makes you realize the difference. And Jesus, in talking in Matthew chapter 5, begins to speak similarly, using the illustration of salt to kick off this new section of his sermon. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 810 if you're using a Bible on the pew rack. You can also find it on our website, all the notes in scripture, dequeen.church. Uh, today's no- sermon notes will be right there. Uh, you can find it. But uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving his biggest, longest teaching that we have recorded in scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. He's up on the side of a hill in a hilly country, and he's teaching uh, several you know, different illustrations throughout his message. And here he gives an illustration of salt to his disciples. The people gathered around him are his faithful disciples, his 12 that he's chosen. But then there's also a big crowd around him, people who have started following him because they want to hear what he's saying, they want to see what he's doing, they want to witness some cool miracle he does. And so they're following him. And so Jesus kind of gives this sermon, it's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, to tell everybody, okay, you want to follow me? This is what it looks like and this is what that means. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 13. Jesus takes this idea of salt and applies it to their lives. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, Back then, they did use salt for flavor and and whatnot, but the vast majority of the reason they used salt was for two things, preservation of food and healing. They would use it for preservation and healing. They would preserve and heal. So he says, you, talking to disciples, talking to followers, you are the salt of the earth. You, You need to go and preserve and heal the earth. That is what you're here for, you know, and It's only through the introduction of Jesus into other people's lives can we preserve and heal in, you know, in truth and actuality. But he says there, if salt loses its salt in this illustration, we can lose our saltiness. If we are no longer impacting things positively for Jesus, if we impact things in a negative light, turn things away from Jesus or people away from Jesus, it's the idea of we're not being salty. We're not influencing people for Jesus. We're influencing them for something else in, in a different light, in a different capacity. And, and if that's the case, we need to try to redirect those moments and point people back to Jesus. To give you a personal illustration, I've shared this story before. Uh, a few years ago, we were uh, redoing a part of the house because we had to make room because we keep having kids and there's like a thousand of them in our house. And, uh, but we were doing, you know, a lot of the work ourselves and, uh, I had, we had painted the cabinets and, and taken all the cabinet doors off and all the hardware and painted all that. And I was then going to have to, to, uh, hang the cabinet doors back on the cabinets. Uh, and if you've heard the story before, then just act like you haven't, most of you probably forgot. But as I go to hang the cabinet doors back on, I got all the bottom cabinets good. No big deal. Uh, but I went to go hang those top cabinets back on, 
And being a man, thought, man, it's, I got this. All those bottom ones, I nailed this. Even though they make screws for cabinets that are that big, and the person who ever do, did that needs to go and rethink their life choices. And so I go to hang the top cabinets up, the cabinet doors, and, and so I'm holding it up with one hand, and in my other hand, I've got the drill, and, and you know, it's got the magnet in, so I put the little screw on the magnet in, and I'm trying to screw this thing in the cabinet door so that it fits up like it's supposed to fit, and you know, it, it's right in the middle so they don't bang on each other, and sometimes they'll overlap and have to take it down and redo it. And in that moment, I am, am yelling at the cabinet doors, I'm screaming at the cabinet doors, I'm thinking bad thoughts about the man who designed cabinet doors, about the man who designed the hardware for cabinet doors, about whoever designed those tiny screws for cabinet doors. I'm thinking bad thoughts about whoever designed cabinets. They just need to, you know, they need to not be alive. I'm thinking terrible things about cabinet people. And I realize all this is coming out of my mouth. Caleb Reagan and Liam are in the living room, just right over there. <laughs> and after you know, being angry at cabinet doors, I had to settle down, set the drill down, set the screws down, and I had to apologize to him and say, guys, that's not how you are supposed to act. That's not how you're supposed to act. Me yelling at cabinet doors isn't going to get them up any faster, and it's setting a bad example for you and how you're supposed to do this. And I had to settle down, refocus the interaction with them, even though they were observing, and point it back to Jesus. And that's what we got to do is point things back to Jesus because a lot of times we don't point to Jesus. And maybe your example of, of not pointing to Jesus, maybe it's not something that's so dramatic as, you know, yelling things at cabinet doors and the makers of cabinet doors and, and their descendants. Maybe it, it's just ignoring Jesus in our lives because of busyness. Or maybe it's just because I mentioned this Wednesday night, all the mind clutter that we got going on in our heads that we just don't often think about Jesus. He doesn't cross our minds, and so we just don't interject him in the conversations. And we go about our day barely surviving, keep barely keeping our head above water, and we hit Sunday again, and we think as we're laying in bed on Sunday morning, should I go to church today? And we ask our kids, hey, y'all want to go to church? No, I want to watch TV. Okay, I'm good. Let's just stay. And we just don't do it. And it becomes a habit, and it becomes how our lives are formed, and we miss what God has for us. Because we don't take the intentionality of injecting Jesus into it. And so when he says, you are the salt, you have within you the capability to bring preservation and healing to the earth because of other people's interaction with you. Just like I told you a minute ago with that salt illustration, I didn't know that one salt was more salty than the other until I experienced it. People don't know the level of Jesus you have until they experience the Jesus in you. Until they experience the Jesus in you. Only then can they know the Jesus you have. Only then can they experience the preservation and healing he's talking about. Can they know that you are the salt of the earth because of Jesus who is inside of you. He provides the way. He provides the purpose. He provides the direction. And However I consider my relationship with Jesus to be going at any given moment, if I contain any amount of real Jesus, then I cannot help but give him away. Similarly, salt can't help but be salty. It's going to taste salty. It, it is. And if you have Jesus, you can't help but give him off. You can't help it. It's a part of him being in you. 
At times we may get distracted and we may uh, 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 miss opportunities, but it's the the conviction within us that should steer and, and redirect our actions in the next interaction. If we have Jesus, we can't help but give him away. And that doesn't mean you have to be perfect in every opportunity that you miss. You should just berate yourself because we're not perfect. We're human. But the deal is, in living this Christian life, we're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven. And we have to understand that. And so perfection is not the goal because you can't get it. Progress is the goal. Progress, not perfection. Pro- make progress so that tomorrow you pursue Jesus a little bit better than today. And the day after that, a little bit better than that day. And so as you take steps in the right direction, making progress towards Jesus, once you get further along in your life, your progress towards Jesus will be far more than you were in the past. Progress not perfection, aim to consistently make a positive impact for Jesus by aiming every interaction at Jesus. So Jesus tells his disciples and the crowd gathered, you're salty. Everyone who interacts with you will be affected by you if you have Jesus. Then he draws on another illustration, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So like you're the salt of the earth and salting other people, you are the light of the world. You shine light into the world. You you give off light into the darkness. You show the light of Jesus to those around you. And I got a little lamp here that a member of our church brought me from Israel some time back. Now these are the lamps similar to ones they used back then. Um, you, you prepare it, you, you, you have to do something to the clay, and then um, fill it with oil, put a wick in it. And this was how they got light in their house back in the day. More reliable than light we get in our houses today. Let's see here. And you fill this thing with oil, and then you put a little wick in it, and they would carry it around to provide light as they went through the house at night. They might have a larger one uh, that they would have in the center of the house that would provide more light um, as they would need it if they could get the thing to light. Um, We did try this earlier, and it worked. There we go. And so they have this light, and so everyone in the crowd that Jesus has there knows what he's talking about, because this is how they light their house. They got a little oil lamp that they would put on a table in the middle of the house, and it would provide light to the house. If they needed to read something, they would have to get close to the light. If they needed sight and direction in where they would go, they would have to get close to the light. And so in that verse, Jesus says, people don't put, uh, 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 they uh, light a lamp and they don't put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. You see, if you put a light under a basket like this, honestly, the light's not going to go out, but you are going to obscure the effectiveness of the light. It's still lit. It's still there. I can still see it if I look for it. 
It's not going to suffocate it because the baskets, you know, have holes in it. But the effectiveness of the light will be, you know, messed up a little bit. You can't quite see as much because this is in the way. And when we live our lives, as Jesus is saying there in that verse, you people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. It doesn't make any sense to do that. So you have to let your light shine before others so they can see the light and experience the light and use the light that you have. So he says, you are the light of the world. He didn't say you have the light of the world. He says, you are the light. So remember, he's talking to disciples. He's talking to followers. He says, you are the light of the world. And so when we hide us, our effectiveness in Christ, we're not fulfilling our purpose in Christ. And, and we do this in a, in a variety of ways. We cover our lamp whenever we tr- choose not to say something about Jesus. Whenever we mindlessly scroll instead of exploring God's word, we cover our light. Whenever we uh, uh, demand credit for an achievement instead of pointing to God, we cover our light. Whenever we point a finger at ourselves rather than Jesus, we cover our light. Whenever we veg out instead of invest in our children or our spouse or our family or our neighbors, we're covering our light. It's still there. If somebody really looks and really searches, they can see that we are a light. But the effectiveness is limited because we're not being used in the way we were designed to be used. When I hit the snooze button instead of hitting my knees, I'm covering the light. But that's not the way we were meant. We were meant to shine. We were meant to expose the light to the world, the light that Jesus has given us and and made us into, we were meant to show it. So we're supposed to use every means at our disposal to shine all the brighter for Jesus, to use every means at our disposal to shine all the brighter for Jesus, every opportunity in our words, in our actions, and, and, and you can't just use actions, you have to use words. Yeah, and, and he draws a distinction here when he says that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's a terrible misquote that's on the internet attributed to an ancient church father, but he never said it, that, uh, you know, tell people about Jesus and if, if you have to, use words. Uh, that no church father, St. Francis never said that. He never said it. That's an internet lie, just like the internet lie that says Abraham Lincoln said everything on the internet is true. It's not true. It's not. When he says, others may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Now, he's going to describe that in the rest of the scripture we're going to look at here in just a second. But there's lots of people who do good works. There's lots of people who do good deeds. There's a lot of them. And not all of them know Jesus. And so then how can we distinguish ourselves from from somebody who doesn't know Jesus if we don't communicate that what we're doing is about Jesus? You got to do it and you got to say it. Your words have to back up your action. Your actions got to be there, but your words have to back them up. And if your actions and words are contrary to each other, that's going to be obvious that you're not shining a light for Jesus. And so to shine a light for Jesus, we got to have both action and words. And so Jesus is, is, is talking to the people here and he's about to drop 
a great theological bomb in the middle of their lives and blow everything they know about God out of the water. Because they'd been taught, you know, you live a good life, you do good things, God's going to be happy with you, and you're good as far as eternity is concerned. You know, and you can say, you know, if I just live a good life, people get the idea I'm living for Jesus. If I follow the Ten Commandments, I'm good, you know, and and I don't just, I just don't kill anybody, you know, I'm good, I'm better than that other guy over there, and so I'll get into heaven because I'm just, I'm good enough to get there, but that's not the way it works, and what Jesus is going to tell the people here that there's a, an idea that was missed when it came to this concept. You know, they, they thought that the law that they were following taught uh, good things, that they were to do good things. However, the law actually pointed to godly things, not good things. There's a huge difference between good things and godly things. Good things are just good actions that people do. Godly things are actions that are good, but they point to Jesus. And so he says the law, what he's going to describe here is the law is something different. He's introducing the idea that, that doing good works, although good, is not what was meant by the Jewish scriptures. It's not what was meant by the law itself. And so he's going to teach something that is absolutely shocking to his Jewish audience. And I'm going to try to describe it to you as they would hear it. Look at verse 17. He, ta- he starts off gently. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota or dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, notice he said fulfill, and now he says accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So it would seem right off the bat, okay, he's talking about the law, the Old Testament law, doing, you know, 613 law, doing that, and and, and we're good, right? If you teach it and, and you obey it, you're good. But he has those two words in there, until they're fulfilled and until they're accomplished. Nothing's gonna pass away. You see that the the we say it iota, you know, in, in English, but the iota there, that's the smallest consonant in the Greek or in the Hebrew, or a dot. And that's not like, you know, the dot of an I. That's like the serif on the end of a letter, like when you write the, you know, like the letter B. It's the little part that sticks out the other end of the main line. I mean, just, he says, not even that part's going to pass away. He says, but until it is accomplished, Okay? Now, we're going to get, I'm going to try to be clear here. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, there were some law. There, there were some covenants that were given to the people of Israel. Number one covenant was given to a guy named Abraham. I mean, there's some other ones, uh, but we're going to talk about three main covenants here, three promises. One was given to Abraham, and this promise to Abraham was all the world is going to be blessed through one of your descendants which this is an eternal promise. This is an eternal covenant. And that descendant ultimately is Jesus. So this is a, a lasting promise that will never go away because the world is blessed if we believe in Jesus. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus, is fulfilled. He's talking here, fulfilled in Jesus. But there's another law that the people took and elevated it beyond its purpose. That was a law given to Moses. And this law given to Moses is 
the law that most people talk about when they talk about the Old Testament law. It's the rules, the Ten Commandments given to Moses. Moses walked down with the tablets, showed the people. The people were to follow this. Well, what ended up happening is the people who saw the law ended up elevating the law to the place that was supposed to be reserved for Jesus. And they started worshiping the law, basically, in that they thought, if I do these 613 things, I'm in heaven. I'm good with God. He's happy with me, which it's impossible to do the law, by the way. Jesus not only said it, Paul said it. James, Jesus' brother in Acts chapter 15, says, why do we want everybody to follow the law? We can't even do them ourselves. And so you've got the eternal promise, the covenant that was given to Abraham. The whole world's going to be blessed through one of your descendants, quote-unquote Jesus. You got the, the promise to, to Moses was let's try to follow these, but the real purpose of the law is to show us that we need a Savior because we can't do them ourselves. That's the purpose. And the thing is, the promise given to Moses about the law was temporary. The promise given to Abraham was eternal because it's fulfilled in Jesus. The promise given to Moses in trying to follow the Old Testament law was temporary and would be accomplished, would be fulfilled in Jesus. And the author of Hebrews has some very strong words about this. Did I put those Hebrew verses in there, Omar? I can't remember. Okay. God kind of changed the message quite a few times in the last couple of days. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, the scripture says, if the first covenant, talking about the law of Moses, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the author of Hebrews says that if the first law, if the law, the covenant given to Moses, had been sufficient enough, there wouldn't have been a need for Jesus. And he says this in Hebrews 8.13, in speaking of a new covenant, this is the, it's called, this is the Christ covenant, Eternal fulfilling and replacing of all previous covenants. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, that's not me talking, that's scripture. Speaking of a new covenant, the Christ covenant, Jesus makes the first one obsolete. The first one, what, what that means is the law can't buy you heaven. Only Jesus' death and resurrection can. And so when Jesus says, and he says it very gently to this Jewish audience. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. The law is good because the law points to a need for a savior. The Old Testament law is good because it points to our need for help. That we're not hopeless. That we need Jesus. He says, so that's good because it points to Jesus. You see, when Old Testament scripture, when Old Testament law is, is taught, it should always be taught through the filter of Jesus. When it's not, we remove the Son of God from something he was designed to fulfill, not designed, which he actually came to fulfill. And he fulfilled it, he accomplished it. And so he introduces this idea to his Jewish audience and says to them, the law was good because it pointed to a need for a savior. And so here I am, guys, standing on the mountain, giving you the Sermon on the Mount and pointing you to the fact that you are the light of the world because in you is a belief in the Son of God. 
Not that 613 laws will get you into heaven because it won't. It wasn't ever meant to. It was meant to point to our need for a savior. He's saying the Jewish law, that, that covenant that he's talking about, he is fulfilling or he will fulfill when he died when he died and he rose from the dead. It will be accomplished. It will be fulfilled in him because it pointed to him, the Savior that everyone would need. So he says to these guys, look, it's coming. Look at verse 20. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I love Jesus. The way he, <laughs> Jesus is phenomenal. I mean, just the way he phrases things. He takes this understanding of righteousness. And typically when Jesus talked about righteousness, when the Apostle Paul talked about righteousness, they're, they're not talking about living a perfect life. They're talking about God's plan for you in believing in Jesus, in, in following God's will, believing in Jesus, attaining eternal life, is you know, living a righteous life, following Jesus. But he takes the first century Jewish understanding of what righteousness was, was being perfect. They thought right, to be righteous, you had to be perfect. You had to follow those 613 laws. If you followed those, then you're righteous. And the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious elitists. They thought they were. Everybody else thought they were. They tried to fulfill those things. That's what every Jew in the first century and, and before and a little after tried to aspire to these guys because they, the, you know, they were it. They were perfect. Their Instagram following would have been massive. They were all about it, following the laws, doing the laws, and, and not just doing the laws, but doing them to be seen doing them. And so they would do them, and everyone would look to them and say, man, those guys are, I can't, they're just, they're so godly and so perfect and so righteous. And so Jesus takes that understanding of the word righteous and the way all those people in the crowd used it. To be righteous was to be like the scribes and the Pharisees, was to be perfect. And so Jesus takes their usage of the word and says, okay, you want to you be righteous? That means you've got to be more righteous than those scribes and the Pharisees. They don't accomplish the 613 laws, so you want to be righteous, then you've got to do it. That's the only way. If that's what you want to pursue, he, he's not saying that, that that's possible. What he's saying is it's impossible. He's pointing out to them you know, the discrepancy in their thinking saying, guys, you can't do it. You can't. You, you can't do it. You cannot be righteous in that understanding. You can't be perfect. The only way to be righteous, to live forever, is with Jesus, is with God. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Uh, prophets, the law and the prophecy, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. He fulfilled it and he introduces us to a life of righteousness through him that can only be known through God's will. That's the only way we can experience a fulfillment of our purpose. You see, just as Jesus fulfilled the scriptures, just as Jesus fulfilled the Jewish scriptures, Jesus can fulfill his purpose in us if we listen to him, if we follow him, if we pursue him then we can find purpose in the life he's given us. Then we can be shining our light. We can be the salt of the earth, bringing preservation and healing to the world. Now, the thing is, though, we have to come to him to be healed ourselves before we can try to heal somebody else. That doesn't mean your healing is going to be perfect and complete before you're going out there and doing things for God. No, I mean, it's a process 
But acknowledging the fact that we need to be healed is part of the process. And we all do. We've all, we're all have scars. We all have open wounds in our spirits and our hearts that we may not even realize is there. Katie and I have been watching a show on Disney Plus about musicals. It's really interesting, uh, fascinating. Uh, but they've been doing something that kind of takes these, these people, they're, they're people who were in musicals in their high school days, and they bring them back like 20 years later to do it again. You know, they have five days to relearn the whole thing, and, uh, which seems impossible to me. <laughs> but they have five days to relearn it, and then they put the show on for everybody there. People who haven't sung in 20, 30, I think there's one that later on in the season, like 40 years. And now they've got to redo it in front of everybody and then videotaped and shown to the world. <laughs> Seems really crazy. But they've been doing something on the show where they kind of take the people and have them relate to some of the issues that they were experiencing in high school so they can better portray the characters they're portraying in the musical. And what I realized watching that is they were all, I mean, these people, some of them, I think there was one the other night, it was only 12 years past the high school days. There was another one that was 20 years, another that was like 28 years. Uh, they were all able emotionally, every single one of them, to go back to some of the things they experienced then. And they all had scars. They all had things that, some of the stuff they didn't even remember until they started, that director started taking them down that you know, emotional journey. We all have those issues. We all do. Whether they're from other people that we've experienced in our lives, parents, you know, maybe grandparents, maybe friends, siblings, relatives. Maybe it's, un, it's unmet expectations we've placed on ourselves. And we feel like a failure, like we couldn't cut it. We couldn't do it. We can't do enough. We can't get there fast enough. And, and we've got it there, and we don't want to think about it. Maybe that's part of the problem with our cluttered mind is, is we keep scrolling and we keep binging because we don't want to sit still in our, with our own thoughts and think about our own brokenness, our own lives. And we know that if we do, that we will feel like we'll fall into a hole we can't get out of. That's why... We try to get as exhausted as possible so the second we shut the TV off, we fall asleep because we don't want to be alone with our thoughts for even one second. And so Jesus, when Jesus says then, you are the salt of the earth. You are the healers and the preservers of the earth. He's saying it's not just you who have the power to do it to them. You, with Jesus in you, have the power within you for healing and preservation for yourself. He brings the healing. And as he brings the healing, we can take the healing elsewhere. Just as we are a light for the world and provide light to the world, but in providing light for the world, we provide light for ourselves. In providing healing and preservation for the world, we provide it for ourselves as well. If we focus on Jesus, it's there. The light is there. We just got to take the basket off of it and expose the world to the light. Take the salt that is us and expose it to the world because it's all about Jesus. It's not about me and what I have. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about me fulfilling my purpose 
or at least what I think my purpose is. It's about me fulfilling Jesus' purpose for me. Just as Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, he fulfills my purpose if I listen and follow him. The world can be healed and preserved through Jesus because it's about Jesus. Jesus, he can reintroduce me to my purpose from where I've been distracted, from where my mind has gotten cluttered. He can bring me my purpose. He can bring my purpose to my broken soul, to my broken heart, to my broken path. And he can set me where he wants me to go. Jesus heals the broken. Jesus preserves the broken. Anybody and everybody can have their hearts restored and healed by Jesus. No matter what somebody did, no matter what you did, no matter what happened to you that you could not control, you can find healing in Jesus. Even when that voice is screaming and yelling in the back of your head all kinds of nasty things, that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't bring shame. His spirit may bring conviction, but that's not shame. Shame is not from God. Healing comes from Jesus, from God. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, who here needs to be restored today? Who here needs to be healed today? Who has a family member or a friend in your life right now who needs restoration, who needs preservation, who needs healing today? We all do if we are observant enough. We have it within ourselves and we have it with those around us. There is healing that needs to take place. Are we willing, willing to do the work? You see, because now is the time. Now is the moment. It's not something to be put off and say, oh, I'll catch them next time. Oh, I'll deal with my own mess next time and next week. And, and, and we keep putting it off. That's what the enemy wants us to do is put it off and not deal with it. Because anything that we don't deal with, we pass on to the next generation. We've got to deal with it and give it to Jesus so it eradicates it and we bring healing. And then that's the legacy we pass on is healing. Healing and preservation in Jesus. So do you need restoration? Do you need healing today? Maybe you need it for the first time. You need to be healed by Jesus for the first time today. You need to believe that Jesus is God's son. He died so all your sins will be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And if you want to believe that today for the first time, you come, you come right after I pray. You come while I pray. You come after we sing. And I want to celebrate that with you. Maybe you need to be baptized. You need to show the world that you are being healed by Jesus. Maybe you want to put your life and be a part of what God is doing here through this church, this, this spiritual operating room. Then you can come and do that. Maybe you just need to come and pray down here while I'm praying, after I pray, during the last song we do. Maybe you just need to come and you need to drop on your knees right here and you need to pray and you need to say, God, I need healing. I need it. Or you need to say, God, I have this family member who desperately needs healing, needs restoration. They've allowed bitterness and distraction and busyness and honestly sin to take them over. Bring 
healing. Use me to bring healing through your word, through your power, through your spirit. So whether you need to come and pray for you, for your friend, family member, whether you need to deal with something that's going on, your own personal healing that you don't want to think about and don't want to do, but God is bringing it. I can see it. I, I saw it a minute ago in some of your faces. He's already put it in your head, the thing that you need to be healed over. Some of you are arguing with God right now because you don't want to deal with it. But God is saying, I've got the healing for you. I've got the cure. Do you want it right now?